Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. I don't know whether you experience the paradox of prayer like I do. What's the paradox? It's such a wonderful privilege and yet it's a continual struggle. What a wonderful privilege to be able to call on God as Father and ask him for our needs. And yet I continually struggle to set aside time, to concentrate and to know what to pray for. And so it's really encouraging, don't you think, that the disciples needed someone to teach them how to pray. They needed someone to teach them what to pray for. They needed someone to teach them how to pray. They needed someone to teach them to pray. And wouldn't you love to be them and have Jesus to teach you how to pray? Well, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So tonight, we get to be taught by Jesus to pray. And he teaches us by teaching us the disciples' prayer. What should we pray? Uh, Father, hallowed be your name. Right off the bat, we're really not sure what it's about, are we? Hallowed be your name. I think most of us think when we pray this that it's praising God, saying how great he is, how great his name is. His name is great. God is holy. But this is actually a request. This is asking God to do something. If you're into grammar, this is a command, an imperative. God, hallow your name. God, your name, your reputation, your character, work powerfully so that your name, your reputation, your character is treated the way it should be. Make sure it's set apart and honoured the way you deserve. How does God hallow his name? By powerfully rescuing people so that they honour him. So in the Exodus, his people were slaves in Egypt. He powerfully showed how great he was, rescued his people and brought them to honour him. In Ezekiel, he promises that he's going to do it again. He'll powerfully rescue his people out of exile and he'll cause them to honour him. So Jesus says to us, what do you pray for? Pray and ask God, to bring honour to his name. What would that look like? Well, it means praying that he would work in you, in me, in us, that we would treat him properly. 
It means praying for the people of our community, for the people of Bone Mountain, for the people wherever you live, for the people of Kermond and North Richmond, that God would powerfully rescue people so that they honour him. It means praying for our world. Pray for the people of Taglebaran, of Amman, of Wickham, that God would powerfully rescue people so that they honour him. Hallowed be your name. It's a lot like the second part, isn't it? Your kingdom come. God's kingdom has come near in Jesus. When Jesus returns, the kingdom will come fully. So here's a prayer of, come, Lord Jesus, come. But God's kingdom comes as well in people, in their hearts, when they turn to Jesus. If you're a Christian here tonight, when you became a Christian, when you put your trust in Jesus, God's kingdom ruled over your life. So what are you praying when you pray your kingdom come? You're praying for us, you're praying for other people, you're praying for yourself, that God's rule would happen. You keep on praying for your friends who you invited to that Henry Alonga event. You pray for the people in your family who don't know Jesus, the people in your street, in your workplace, in your school. What do you pray? Jesus says, pray hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. In other words... Pray for God's glory. Is that a part of your prayer life? And then you get this incredible shift. Do you see it? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us. Give us each day our daily bread. Isn't that just ridiculous? God's glory The very next line, us. And what about us? Our daily bread. Bread means our basic needs, doesn't it? Isn't it wonderful that we can ask God for our basic needs? But gee, it's hard to do. When was the last time you actually asked God for the bread you would need for tomorrow? What do you do when you run out of bread at home? We put it on the shopping list, it goes on the app, and then the next time someone goes to the supermarket, we buy the bread. And even if there's a power outage at Coles over the weekend, they still have more bread the next day, and we have more bread in our freezer. So why on earth would you pray for your daily bread? Well, you ask any farmer, uh, the farmer will tell you, I need rain, and I can't produce it. The tradesperson will tell you, I've got a job at the moment, but I need a job for tomorrow to do, otherwise I can't feed my family. We are all dependent. And actually, my next heartbeat and yours is dependent upon God. So what do you pray for, says Jesus? Pray for your daily bread. And it's not a once-off You know, when you're 18, you're now an adult. Okay, I'll pray for my daily bread for the rest of my life. Done. No, actually it says, give us each day tomorrow's bread. In other words, each day you pray for what you need tomorrow. We were talking about this at my growth group Thursday night. I said, I think it'd be really helpful for me if when I went to bed at night, I actually prayed that I'd have food for the next day that I'd have the clothes that I need, that my children would be safe the next day. And you know what? I did it. I prayed like that on Thursday night. 
I forgot Friday night, I forgot Saturday night, and I remembered on Sunday morning when I looked at my sermon notes again. But I need to pray it. And my guess is you do too. Because we are dependent for our basic needs. Not just your basic physical needs, Jesus says, pray for your spiritual needs. Uh, Verse 4, forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. When you become a disciple of Jesus, your sins are forgiven, past, present and future. But like in any relationship, you keep on asking for forgiveness. So what do you pray for? Jesus says, regularly pray, asking God for forgiveness. When you come together as disciples of Jesus, for church, obviously, pray and ask God for forgiveness. Forgive me for my impatience and my selfish anger and my lies and my deception, whatever it might be. And you need more than forgiveness. Do you see what's next? And lead us not into temptation. I think this is the weirdest part of the Lord's Prayer, don't you think? What does it make God out to be? Someone who might lead us into temptation. And we better ask him or we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Is that what it means? No, I think it's an awkward, what seems to us awkward, maybe an old-fashioned way of saying... God, I am so prone to temptation and giving into it. Left of my own, that's where I'd go. And I need you to lead me out of it. James 1 says, God does not tempt us. It's our own evil desires. And we need God's help. It's a bit like this. Imagine an L plater. An L plater who is so self-aware, or their mums told them, that they know that they are prone to driving recklessly. And so they get into the L plater car with the instructor and they say to the instructor, lead me not into reckless driving. Does the L plater really think the instructor is going to lead them into reckless driving? Of course not. But she knows that the instructor has the power to lead her elsewhere, to teach her. And thankfully, the power to stop her when she's really close with those special pedals at the bottom. That's what Jesus is saying. Pray. Pray because you know you're prone to temptation and you need God's help to lead you out of it. Lord teaches to pray and Jesus teaches them what to pray for. God's glory and our needs. Now I'm pretty sure That as you look through this prayer, this disciples' prayer, there must be one thing here that needs to be more part of your prayer life. Is it God's glory that you need to be praying for? Is it actually asking for your daily needs because God provides them? Is it asking for his strength out of temptation? in some particular way at the moment. We're going to pray by leaving 30 seconds for you to ask God that that would be part of your prayer life. And then I'll close the prayer.
What is one way your prayer life needs to be different, having been taught by Jesus? Ask God to make that happen. Let's pray. Father, change our hearts so that what we pray for is more like what Jesus said to pray for. We ask it in his name. Amen. Jesus teaches the disciples what to pray for. He also teaches them how to pray and to pray. Thanks, Anna. So continuing on Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will get up and give him the bread, because he is because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus teaches us what to pray, but he also teaches us how to pray. Look again at this disciple's prayer. It's so familiar to us that I think we miss what is so extraordinary about it. It's so familiar to us and, and, and we rattle it off and we sort of think that it's quite complicated because some of the phrases we're not quite sure what they mean and we don't really memorise any other prayer these days, do we? This is the top bar of memorising prayer that most of us have to do. And so I'm really glad that it's on the back screen when I lead this at church because it'd be really embarrassing to get it wrong. We think it's quite complicated. But have a look at it. It's really pretty simple, don't you think? Teachers to pray and Jesus taught them a prayer that was 34 words long. Now, most of the world is really impressed with how Muslims pray. And we are as well. They will pray anywhere, in front of anyone, at the right times, five times a day. And so if you asked a Muslim, teach me to pray, what would they say? Well, I didn't have one on hand in my office, so I did the next best thing, which was to Google it. And I downloaded the document. I downloaded the document that teaches you as a Muslim how to pray. It teaches you what to pray. It teaches you how to pray. 
It's 111 pages. It teaches the right time to pray. It teaches you the posture you should be in and complete with diagrams. And it tells you, of course, which direction you should pray in. The glossary at the end that defines the terms alone is four pages long. These are the instructions on how to pray. And when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, what did he say? 34 words. And when it comes to instructions about when to do it, what posture to be in, or what direction to face, did you notice what he said? Verse 2, he said to them, When you pray, say. One word, say, which we think is rather irreverent. Why does he pop the word say in there? Simply this, prayer, Christian prayer, is simply speaking, whether it's in your head or out loud. Do you see how simple this is? And when you actually look at the words, all 34 words that are there, do you notice there's no introduction? There's no formality. There's no buttering God up with praise or thanksgiving before you ask your requests. In fact, he doesn't even say please as part of the prayer. It's just five simple requests. And I think we should be saying at the end of the prayer, is that it? Is it really that simple? And not just that it's simple, is it? It's personal. We go from God's glory to our basic needs. And how does Jesus say to address God? Father. God's people never called God Father in the Old Testament when they prayed. Actually, that's wrong. Twice it happened, and what they did was wrong. Jeremiah, God looked forward in Jeremiah 3 to the day when God's people would call him Father. And Psalm 89 said the Messiah would call God Father. And so Jesus comes along as the Messiah and calls God his Father. But the Pharisees, what do they want to do when he calls God his Father? They want to stone him because it's blasphemy. The disciples, I think, had figured out by this point that Jesus called God Father in his prayers. But I think it would have come a complete shock to them. When Jesus said for them to do the same, they weren't the children of God. But it's not just that God likes being called Father now, it's that he has adopted us as his children and we get to call him Father. Can you see what a great privilege that is? How personal, how intimate it is? It'd be a great shame not to call God Father, wouldn't it? Imagine if my children called me adult or parent or provider. Wouldn't that be weird? And I wouldn't like it. And yet so often as Christians, how do we start our prayers? Dear God, 
God is the generic name for the divine being. It says nothing about who the true God is, and it says nothing about our relationship with him. It'd be a real shame to pray like that, for you're missing out on the great privilege that we have, and you're not expressing the relationship that we have with our heavenly Father. Can I encourage you? If you're not in the habit of calling God Father, please do, for he would love it. It's so simple, this prayer. It's so intimate. Do you see how Jesus says we should pray? It is so bold to talk to God like this. That's why Jesus not only teaches us what to pray and how to pray, he has to teach us to pray. For you might think at this point, how can I pray like this? Call God Father and simply tell him my requests. How could I be so bold? Look at the story that Jesus tells, verse 5. Suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, give me three loaves of bread. This guy's come to my house in the middle of the night and I've got nothing to give him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. In the Middle East, hospitality is really important and so you can see he really needs these loaves of bread. But it's a ridiculous request, don't you think? At midnight? What would you do if someone called out through your door and asked for some loaves of bread to give to some guy in the middle of the night and add to that the fact that you are in bed with your children? One bed. What is going to happen when you get up to get the bread, do you think? That's the end of the night, isn't it? Of course he's reluctant. And so Jesus says, I tell you, he will not get up and give the bread because he is your friend. But because of the man's boldness, because of the man's shameless audacity, it says, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. When you ask someone boldly, they'll give it to you. And God is not like a reluctant friend. How much more, Jesus is saying, if you ask God boldly, will, you, will he give you what you need? So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Why? Verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Last Sunday was Father's Day, and so some of us here got lovely gifts and some lovely cards with some lovely things written on them, and about half of which was true. We know that, don't we, fathers? Because we know we are evil. And we get some things right and some things wrong. Yet we manage to give good gifts when our children ask for them. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those 
who ask him. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Pray boldly because your father is generous. It's a great privilege tonight, isn't it, to be taught by Jesus what to pray, how to pray, and to pray. But there's a bigger privilege here. It's to pray like this. For God's glory, for our needs, calling God Father and boldly asking for what we need. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to make us amazed at the privilege of prayer. We ask you to make us bold in calling you Father and asking you to do your glory and to give us what we need. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.